Welcome to episode 296 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Joining me as usual this time, we have Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. And making his first, I was going to say his first appearance in a while, but that's in part down to the fact that, you know, we didn't do podcasts for a long time. <laughs> Returning to the podcast, it's Dan Larson. Hello, Dan. Hello. How about you doing? I'm doing fine. Cold and flu season has struck me. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that happens to you specifically, Jordan, for about nine months of the year. Yeah, my white blood cells, you know. <laughs> it's enough on Jordan's health for the moment, unless unless you want more of it, which if that's the case, let us know in future episodes, we can focus more on you personally, <laughs> right Jordan? <laughs> Instead though, <laughs> I was I was bailing you out of that without you having to deal with it. The, the silence seemed yeah. uncomfortable for you <laughs> and everyone else. Instead though, we are going to reflect on the books preseason and look ahead to the start of the regular season. Um, last time you heard from us, it was after the Bucks' first two preseason games. They were both wins. And since then, the Bucks won three more preseason games. So they finished the exhibition slate 5-0. and And they look pretty ready for the start of the new season. How are we feeling about preseason overall? Well, we might dive into just a couple of the games specifically in a moment. But in terms of where the books finished last year, how the regular season went last year, all of that stuff, this being our reintroduction to this kind of version of the books, what's the overall impression of preseason? I mean, I don't think it's anything different from what we were used to seeing last year. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that they pretty much, I think I... Tallying it up, they won by like a combined 80 points through those five games, which again, it's preseason. Not everybody, not every team is going to, you know, roll out their A plus lineup. And the Bucks certainly didn't do that for some games, but I mean, that's plenty encouraging. I believe I saw John Schumann of NBA.com say that they were the only team to rank in top five offense and defense for preseason in terms of efficiency. Again, that sounds familiar. So, yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> um, I yeah, I think it's just kind of more of the same. That's that's kind of how I view it from from what I saw of them this preseason. 
Dan, your thoughts on being 5-0 and to enter the regular season? Doesn't get much better than that, really. I think there's only one thing that we could probably pick out as a negative, which we'll get to later, but 5-0 and is a nice way to go into the regular season, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think you were... I think all of us would probably be a little bit concerned about whether this team would have a hangover from the disappointment of the Eastern Conference Finals coming into the season. But the fact that they came out right out of the gate and won all five of their preseason games, and they won those pretty comfortably, including that Wizards game, which we'll get to um, without Giannis, I think is really encouraging because uh, that's probably what one of my biggest concerns would be coming into the season is how they would respond to the disappointment of last year. And it's good to see that they seem to be heading into the regular season on top of things. Yeah, I mean, Jordan touched on it there. I think I may have said it in the last episode, and I've probably certainly written about it since. It's kind of amusing and refreshing just how much it resembled, you know, the night-to-night of the regular season last year of, oh, yeah, this team is just really good, and they're going to pick apart whatever opponents come their way. I mean, it's it's worth talking about, and I think we touched on it last time too, this is not, this is not the easiest preseason slate. As preseason slates go, there are not non-NBA teams in here. Um, the Bucks played NBA teams throughout. They played the majority of their games on the road. And still, it just all comes out to wins for the Bucks, And that seems to be how it works. Diving into some of those games specifically, and I have to laugh because you mentioned the Washington game. And just when you said that, I realized I don't remember anything from that game now. That game is basically wiped from my memory. I know it wasn't the best of games, but I really... Uh, I'll pull up the box score and see if it jogs something for me. But that game, it's like, eh, I don't remember it. Um, I guess that's what happens. It's a preseason game, and Giannis doesn't play. Somewhere in my head, it just went, yeah, it's a, you don't need to know about this one. Um, but overall, I guess, more than the games themselves, less important, particularly with some of the the opponents and some of the kind of lineup combinations you go up against in the preseason. If we look at individuals from a book's point of view, is there anyone who jumps outside of you as kind of standout players or even maybe not necessarily players who had their best preseason, but you were just interested in some of what they were doing and what it might mean for them going forward? Um, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I would maybe... Well, there, there's certainly some players, like, I don't know if they're all positives, <laughs> but I think Dante is the one that kind of probably could just because, you know, he hadn't played in however many months. You kind of just want to see what he looks like uh, coming back into things, whether he's, you know, healthy or has improved on anything to get a look at the rotation. And... I think he's going to get a look at the rotation. I but, can't uh, believe you're bringing up Dante. I can't believe you're bringing Dante up this early. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> he's going to get a look at the rotation. I've zero doubt over that. Um, I think touched for quite a while. He seems like a favorite of Bud. That was apparent when, like, he's just entered into the NBA, and it's like, oh, this guy's playing. Um, I don't know what everyone thinks they're seeing. And I think there's a lot of wishful thinking going on about what they're seeing and a lot of trying to fool themselves. Dante does a lot and can do a lot, and you can put him in those situations. The results are not good at the moment. Like they are they are not positive. He is he's just bad offensively. It's that simple. I like him as a defensive player, and he's making a positive impact there already. And I think 
shows a level of understanding that possibly we wouldn't have expected when he came out of college. Um, but if you put the ball in his hands, he's likely going to turn it over as much, if not more often, than he will make assists. His shooting is up there with the worst on the team. Like, this is a guy who was drafted based on being a shooter, which at the time I said I thought was ridiculous. He's not a shooter. He's more of a scorer. Um, like, his shooting from college, the percentages were fine. And when percentages are fine at the college three-point line and with college defenders, that can generally end up being something of a red flag. And I think that's certainly the, been the case for him so far. Now, obviously, we cut him a lot of slack because of his injury um, and how that's hampered things so far. I'm hopeful that he can become a good, useful player over the course of the season. Uh, but for me, he's honestly not near that level right now. And I feel like I'm losing my mind because everyone just seems to be like bowled over by Dante. And I'm like, the guy does stuff. It doesn't mean that stuff is good. I mean, the books have had players like this before. And I don't feel like they've been as warmly received. I'm not saying people should dislike him. I'm not saying there should be some blowback against him. Uh, God knows we can always do it minimizing like the kind of the movement nature for and against players. But there is something bizarre and unjustified to me about a lot of the love that Dante is getting. I think he'll get minutes in the rotation. I think the books are good enough that that won't necessarily hurt them. And maybe in the long term, they can just ride that out and it benefits him to be getting notable minutes right now. But, I mean, his his preseason backed up everything and it wasn't all that much because of the injury that we saw of him after the first few games of last season. You're like, this is a guy who was wildly inconsistent and who just, like, people can say, oh, he looks like a shooter. Well, he's not. The results are really, really bad offensively. Um, you wrote about this today, Jordan, about the need for him to do something offensively this season. And like it is as simple as that, because I'd like someone to point to the things where you're like, oh, this is where you can rely on him offensively when he's on the court. There isn't really any one thing. And if you can't play on like one end of the floor to that extent, and with this books team, if you can't fit in offensively like that, I think that's a major problem. I've probably... I mean, antagonize the majority of our listeners at this point, though. So I'm open to anyone else coming in. I know the Dante enthusiasm is high. Maybe it's just out of the hope of something happening. Um, but like the holding our collective breath for this to be the Malcolm Brogdon replacement. Yeah, oh, that I saw some of that, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what are we uh, talking about here?" I yeah, I mean, I kind of hold the same level of skepticism on him because it's either he's you either put him out on the three point line, and you kind of rely on him to hit shots, but again, the rate of shots that are going in is not that high at his preseason. Yes, but that's not encouraging because you're not necessarily playing against, you know, top units all the time, or, like, A-plus lineups all the time. And the what's more worrying to me is that, like, we've seen him take kind of, like, a backup point guard role, especially with Bledsoe out with his rib injury, the rib witch. Um, and I don't think that's good for him at all. I, I Like, he does – the thing about Dante is that, like you said, like, he does all these little things – but I think when you like kind of primarily 
rely on him to do those things, it doesn't it doesn't really work. It's like it giving Delhi the ball and saying do much more than you do. Yeah. Like yeah, like there's more talent there, but it's not amounting to anything just yet. And the real positives he offers are, you know, he brings energy. It's all these intangibles. He'll kind of lock in. He'll hassle guys defensively. He's pretty smart in the defensive end. But, I mean, his shot selection is atrocious. Like, it's one thing to talk about him making shots. He takes the worst shots of any player on this team, and it's not even close. Like, Mm -hmm. this is something that obviously the books have improved in in a major way. His shot selection on just an average night in preseason is like the Eric Bledsoe of all of our nightmares in the playoffs. That's what he does. You're like, what is this three-pointer you're taking from like 10 feet behind the line and you're off balance, you're leaning back. And I can't remember which game it was, but that was the one he made. Um, like the walls? It might have been. You You were at that game, so you might have a clearer memory he, of that. There was one where he pulled up and like, what are you doing? Well, he, <laughs> he, made, he made one tree in one of the games and it was by far the toughest one he took of the night. And that's not to say the others were easy, but I just, I don't get it. I don't see it right now. Um, Like for me, one of the players, he had a tough game. I think it was against the Wolves in the final game, but Sterling Brown was one of the more impressive preseason players for me. And if Dante is going to get minutes at Sterling's expense, I'd find that a tough one. And I actually wonder if he will. I mean, there's a difference between Dante's got to be in the rotation because I think Bud trusts his ball skills in particular a little bit more than some of those other combo guards wings. And if Bledsoe was to miss any time, which at this moment it's uncertain that he actually will to start the regular season, that becomes much more important. I don't know, though, if that's not the case. If Bledsoe is good to go on Thursday against the Rockets, how much Dante do we see or at what way does he kind of come into the rotation? I'm confident he'll play. I'm confident he'll be a part of it, but over Sterling or over someone who's just a bit steadier, Connaughton. like Pat Connaughton, yeah, who actually shot the ball okay, I think was kind of underwhelming in a lot of ways, but you look at the numbers and you're like, yeah, that was quiet, but it was steady, and really, like, what is the thing that everyone used to justify when Brogdon went, the people who wanted to justify it in the summer, it's like, oh, that's the fifth spot on the the book starting lineup you know it's the fifth spot it's not it's not the one that brings it all together they can get someone else they can get a wesley matthews in and everything can be fine you know the whole thing can keep running as it has and if other players improve and they make great decisions long term everything will be fine that only applies when the guy in the fifth spot plays like he's the fourth or fifth guy in on the floor you know mm-hmm. and not when he's gonna take the ball and shoot a lot and try to do a lot with it. I don't know. Maybe we just need to wait and see, okay, what does he look like in lineups where he's going to be forced into a lower usage role? But then what is the point of that? Because if you're not making shots, you're not going to space the floor well. I don't know what his utility is there other than kind of some energy as relief when some of the other guys sit. I'm, I'm really not sure. Dante is a complete puzzle and an enigma to me. And he's already this year's DJ Wilson in terms of his online, um, the kind of fervent nature of the online fandom around him, except the difference was DJ started to show things, show really, really good things that you could say, well, this is what he can do well. And here's how you could play him. And here's how it works. 
that just hasn't happened for Dante yet. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to start this. I don't think there's a lot that's even slanted negative I could say in this podcast. But I asked Jordan for one player, and the first player he brought up was Dante DiVincenzo. And you're welcome. Here we are. <laughs> Dan, have you any thoughts on Dante? Um, I think a lot of my thoughts would probably echo what you two have talked about. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of him either. And I think the the biggest thing that concerns me, I mean, one, you're highlighting the fact that his shot selection has been very poor. Well, he can't even make open shots consistently. And then he's compounding that by taking poor shots. I know it's the preseason, so we probably shouldn't make too much of it. But that does matter because the Bucks. Offense succeeds when we're moving the ball and they're upping the pace and they're doing where there's a lot of movement on the offensive side of the game. And if the ball's stopping with him and he's taking poor shots and we're going through something similar to what we went through, even if it's just a few minutes a game with like what we had with Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis several years ago, that's and and he's making shots at a lower clip than those guys did. That's pretty alarming. Um, I think he you can see some things that you like. Like you said, his defensive effort's been excellent. I think he has, he seems like he has pretty good instincts. Even last year, he, or last season, he really stood out on the defensive end of the game, of the court. I was really surprised by that too, because I, as, as far as I was aware, I, coming out of college, that was not something that was considered a strength of his. Um, but it's the shooting for me is the biggest concern. The Bucks need people who can space the floor he's probably going to be forced into some meaningful minutes in these early season games just simply because if Eric Bledsoe can't go or even if Bledsoe is going, but he's not hundred percent, they're going to have to find some minutes for him probably at the point guard position. And that's just, that's, that's not great. Um, I think it speaks to some of the weakness. I, I can't believe that. I guess I've been fortunate enough that I haven't been on Bucks Twitter enough to see this, <laughs> but I was not aware that people were talking about him like a Malcolm Brogdon replacement, which I think is quite frankly ridiculous. The guy on the roster who should be that replacement is Sterling Brown, who had a strong preseason and has shown in stretches of games, including at the end of last season, that he can be very good um, at the specific things that he does. Um, so I it's patience is warranted. It's only a second year. It's kind of like his first season two in the sense that he missed so much time last year that he didn't get that much game time, but there's, there's a long way to go before I think he's a useful role player. That's not to say he can't get there by the end of the season, but I mean, right now I don't think he should be seeing the floor for many, many meaningful minutes. Agreed. I mean, that's, that's part of it is it doesn't mean, He's a write-off. I mean, I guess just the Bucks' recent draft history has been so weird that, and now there are so few young players. I mean, the roster is old that it becomes this different thing of every young player like representing the sole young hope that's going to transform this element of the roster for the next wave. But with Dante, I mean, he could get there. He's not there now, and I don't think it does anyone any good to fool themselves into thinking he's good now. And to thinking, oh yeah, he belongs in this spot or this kind of role or this is what he offers. When in fact, like, very basic numbers. It doesn't take diving very deep to be like, hmm, the picture isn't as good as it looks here. It looks bad, like, to just, you know, to open eyes. And it looks even worse when you look at any of the numbers and you're like, okay, this is worse than I remember it being. The defense, I guess that's attributable to... 
you know, coming out of a really good program. And it's like the, the Jay Wright effect of what has become something of a more common team with players coming out of Villanova in recent years. Um, and there are multiple programs. I mean, we're talking about Brogdon. I mean, that was another case of it being put forward where you have this kind of Tony Bennett effect in terms of readiness for role players to come into the NBA. So maybe that works out on that side. I think, Dan, you bring up the point guard element. I think this is where it's important. And this is where the discussion about Dante isn't really just based on the preseason games he's just played um, and is based on everything we've seen so far. So prior to his injury last year, like, I mean, if you want to put all those numbers together, very, very similar. To me, the impression has been largely the same with the exception of obviously in some of the minutes he's played in the preseason, he has been one of the more senior players on the floor. He's been playing with some Exhibit 10 guys at times, things like that. But when you look at his role and you look at what he can be, and particularly his shooting doesn't seem to come to him as naturally as I think people had hoped. And it wasn't going to be this kind of click in, oh, this is a guy who's going to shoot even 35, 36% from deep, which still wouldn't be ideal. In that in that regard, he then has to be a guy who can play some point guard, who can be a combo guard who's capable of handling and creating. And he's really bad at that right now. There's just there's an element of control and decision-making that isn't there that may only come over the course of the season with more reps and more chances to kind of take it in an NBA level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, Jordan has probably hit on the player that, bar maybe one exception I have... M- most reservations about coming out of the preseason. Do you want to have any guesses at who the other player, and now this is taking a more negative slant than I intended, <laughs> but the other player whose preseason, and in this case it is purely their preseason, has given me some reservations. Is it Matthews? Yes, it is, Jordan. Just doesn't look comfortable at all yet. And I guess that's not a big deal. It's not entirely surprising it should probably be expected um the books are doing something different to a lot of teams on both ends um certainly last year he bounced around from team to team he had spells on at least one really two bad teams in that time one of those spells being ultra brief one game with the knicks right i feel like it might be one game um and he hasn't played with a player like Giannis in ever. Um, I was thinking about that for a second. Ever is really the answer. Um, late stage Dirk doesn't exactly count, or very early Luka Doncic doesn't exactly count. So this is something completely different for him. The early results aren't all that encouraging, though. I mean, he hasn't shot the ball well, which you would hope that would be one of the few things that when the opportunities came his way, he'd go to them. And I feel like he's been of the new players, the one that coaches and players, and specifically Giannis, um, has talked most about, you know, kind of working to get him comfortable and encouraging him and like, oh, you've got to let it fly. you got to let it fly. As opposed to the others, who just kind of seem to be figuring out this is what they do and trying to embrace it. That's not a stretch, obviously, for Kyle Korver. Um, Dragon Bender seems pretty happy to do that. Robin Lopez, increasingly, as the preseason went on, was very happy to do that. There's something about Matthews that I think is going to come good. It could come good after a couple of games. It could take five games, ten games. 
Um, but it's not an insignificant question entirely of when that will be and just how important it is how soon it comes because if he doesn't hit the ground running and let's say we're 10 games in and maybe the books are good maybe their record is great but they just don't look as good as they could be and there's a feeling that okay let's try something else that kind of turns the whole idea of what this team's best starting five is on its head for the remainder of the season and that's where some of the rotation questions that even, I guess, are tied to our previous conversation about Dante and guys like Sterling and Pat, where they get really, really interesting. And also where if the books are going to make a splash at some point this year and if they are going to play the trade market and use those picks they got from the Pacers or package together some of the players they have on the roster, where the obvious kind of position they're going to target is. So... It is just preseason, and Matthews played just four of the five games. I mean, to run through his numbers, he averaged 7.5 points on 37.9% from the field, 17.6% from deep. Um, Three rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.8 turnovers. 0.3 steals, which is actually very, very low for him, too. And maybe that's another adjustment, you know, in this particular scheme. He likely isn't going to have the freedom to gamble in quite the way he used to. Um, All combined is a little alarming. And it's not a source of panic, but I'm just intrigued as to how that's going to play out. And I think how quickly it could play out that we have to recalibrate some things, not in a way that's completely detrimental to the book season, but in a way that kind of shifts the focus or shifts the view of the team going all the way through to the playoffs in terms of what their best starting five would be. I was just going to say is that, you know, we kind of looked at these in light of losing Brogdon and just the Bucks' overall approach to replacing his production and just that spot in the starting lineup. We kind of looked at like, oh, you can look at Corver Matthews and kind of like do the plug and play options and they'll pick it up just fine. And I mean, even with Corver, like I know his numbers have looked good. And of course he's just, you know, lights out as a shooter but like just getting reps in preseason we know that like they kind of tinker with different lineup configurations all that stuff it it doesn't necessarily come easy even for guys that have been around as long as Matthews has been and obviously Corbett too um so maybe it's something that you just kind of pick up over time and they're they're you know once if he's in the starting lineup, which I mean, I'd be shocked if he wasn't the fifth starter at this point, despite you know his poor preseason play. Oh, I think he will be. Yeah, yeah, just you know, kind of just seniority. Whether he lasts is the question, but I think he'll definitely be the one to start the season there. Yeah, um, I just kind of view it as more of like eventually they'll hit that balance of you know where to be and what when to know when, like, put up shots, because obviously this is a foreign offense to them. Especially, look at what he's coming from. He's coming from uh, playing for the Knicks, playing for, well, Dallas maybe not be the greatest example, <laughs> but, like, even Indiana and all that stuff, that he still had more of a kind of active role in the offense where I don't think he's going to – he's obviously not going to see the same amount of touches or even kind of have the – same amount of comfort on the ball he's going to be more relied on to just hit shots and kind of stay in the corner or find other ways to contribute but 
just give it uh, patience is all I'm saying. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It is a different speed for guys though too. I mean, we've heard this for a lot of players over the years of it's not not everyone can just go from being someone who I mean, it's not like Wes Matthews is a super high usage guy, but he is someone who can play a bit, so therefore has had the ball at different spots. So to go to you're now mostly a defender and a spot up shooter. That's very different. Not everyone makes that adjustment seamlessly. Like not everyone can I know to take an extreme example of a duo Vince Carter is Yeah. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that works out for him. Dan, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I think the big thing for me is uh, he's going to have to acclimate relatively quickly because if Sterling keeps playing as well as he did in the preseason, I think you're looking at a situation where that's going to quickly transition to into at least a split between him and Sterling for playing time. And if that does happen, that's going to make it trickier for him to acclimate because the more his minutes get dialed back, I think the harder it is to try to get adjusted. Um, so there's going to be some pressure there, especially because the Bucks need the shooting on the floor uh, coming from that particular position. Because, I mean, I don't know how much... I know regular season Bledsoe is better than postseason Bledsoe, or at least he's been the last two years. But um, when you're not getting much floor spacing at the other guard position, you kind of need to have the shooting guard be able to uh, hit the shots when he's called upon. Um, I do think there's something to the usage thing too. Uh, Chris Bosch... Uh, when he was on Bill Simmons' podcast, I think it was at some point last year uh, when he did an interview, he talked about how difficult it was to adjust to being moved from a role that you had on the team previously to what he was doing in Miami, specifically on spot-up shooting. I mean, Matthews has been a good spot-up shooter before, but to your, as his point, he's being used in a different way. He's, he's going to be a lower-usage player, especially in the starting five than he's been accustomed to in his previous destinations. And there definitely is an adjustment period for that. So I think we can be patient with him. I think he'll be a useful player for us, but it does at least worry you a little bit because I think we all have some doubts about how the team's going to cope at that particular position with Malcolm Brogdon out of the equation. And really, I think their season could really be defined about or by how that position ultimately plays itself out. Yeah, I think that's true. And when it comes down to it, I think ultimately Matthews is the best hope for a positive there because he can just do a little bit more because he's more skilled, more talented, more experienced. I think you would want that by the end of the season, he's comfortable enough so that if possession breaks down and the ball just happens to end up in his hands, well, he's better equipped to do something with it than some of the others. Like some of the, the more interesting kind of snippets of Matthew's play in the preseason have been when he'd kind of create off the dribble and step into a mid-range shot like obviously that's not something the books are going to encourage multiple times a game it's not something that really fits in with who they are but we saw the need for some added flexibility over the course of the postseason and really with that in mind it's useful to have you know if if by the end of the year he can lock in and really adjust to all the things that the books would ideally want from kind of their fifth guy and yet also still have his own bag of tricks in his arsenal that he can turn to. I think that's the best case scenario because that's really what so much of the hope and so much of the utility of Brogdon was. Okay, Brogdon can just be the floor spacer and he can not have the ball for a long spell. And then also if things break down and he has the ball, 
you can say, okay, we need someone to make something. You have the ball right now. Go and do it. Maybe Sterling can grow into that. I mean, some promising signs last season, but I certainly don't think he's there right now. I certainly don't think the best version of Sterling is as good as the best version of Wesley Matthews at this point. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out over the season. I mean, Dan, you brought up Eric Bledsoe's shooting and needing a needing a dead-eye shooter. Eric Bledsoe, 100% from three in the preseason. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Um, this five. is probably the best point. <laughs> How many this is probably the best point for us to transition to Eric Bledsoe, Jordan. Don't worry, where I will give you the full breakdown of minutes and shot attempts. Um, the picture of efficiency, not something that's always been said about Eric Bledsoe, <laughs> but certainly applies in this case as he went one of one from three-point range. I uh, played 11.8 minutes in total. To me, and I'm open to either of you disagreeing on this, or maybe I think you've you've read it, Jordan, because you've I've seen you write about it, but I, I don't know, Dan, if you've necessarily seen all of the reports in recent days and kind of the quotes from Bud. Um, my reading on it is that Eric Bledsoe is going to be starting on Thursday against the Houston Rockets. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say as long as he's uh, reasonably healthy, I, I'd have a hard time picturing them not starting him. I see. That's where it gets a little interesting for me. I wrote about this uh, somewhat. I didn't I didn't set out to write about it. And then as I started to go on, I went, this is kind of important. Um, like, it's it's been made clear that this is an injury that's about pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. I still don't know what the benefits would be if Bledsoe is just kind of saying, oh, it's sore, but I can play through it. I just, I don't know if that's the ideal way to start a season that is going to be quite taxing physically and mentally, and particularly if it's the best way to start the season for a guy who finished last season in such spectacularly abysmal fashion. I don't know if the player the books need to come out of the gate just a little bit slower than usual because he's trying to kind of man up and play through pain is Eric Bledsoe because if it is bad and he has, you know, justification, he has good reason why that could be the case, why he wouldn't be at his most confident and comfortable. What does that do for his confidence? I don't know. That feels like an uncomfortable question for me. Now, this is like a perfect storm because the matchup being the Houston Rockets, um, there is probably no game that you would more want Eric Bledsoe available for this season based on how he defended James Harden last year, i.e. better than any other player in the NBA. And now also the fact that Russell Westbrook is there too. I feel like he's going to play, and I'm just not entirely sure if that's the case. Now, the reports from practice are that he looks great um Corver in particular was glowing about how sharp he looked um how aggressive he was being all of that stuff sounds promising but it's really you know, i mean it's like less than 10 days i think still or very close to 10 days since he was originally diagnosed with an injury that was being estimated as you know could be three weeks we'll see i don't know i just have a slight air of discomfort not so much for i trust that the books are not going to put him out there if it's not structurally sound so the indication that this is a pain tolerance issue okay that covers that off but more along the lines of just how strong is eric bledsoe mentally and if there is the kind of fragility that there may well be 
there and there's kind of again justification for not being there is the best way for him to start the season putting him out there without having played preseason games without being 100% healthy and doing so against one of the best teams in the NBA I'm not entirely convinced I think it's one of the more fascinating questions the books are going to face um, the most fascinating they'll face on Thursday but one of the more fascinating they'll face in the opening few weeks because this also comes from you know, the position where they're at their weakest in terms of depth. If you had another really good point guard on a regular NBA contract, and look, they may just use Frank Mason the third because his two-way days won't actually count against his two-way days with the G League season not having started. But I think it was someone slightly more high profile that they could just say, okay, George Hill's the starter. We're going to take our time with Bled because this is about you know, him playing and being at his best in June rather than rushing out there for October. I think they'd be more inclined to take that route if they just had a little bit more cover at that spot. And for this particular issue to come up in this way right from the off, it's more than a little inconvenient for the books. No doubt. I mean, (laughs) it's your thinnest position on the roster. It's your most mercurial player on the roster in terms of just like, you never know what you're going to get in terms in high pressure situations. Um, even though the regular season he's shown that has been the case, but still like, I don't know. Like anytime I see like, Oh, it can't get much worse. I'm like, that's just not, that's not true. We've seen, we've, we literally are coming from a season where, you know, Kevin Durant, all the talk about him, like returning to the, uh, to action, it was like, oh, he, his injury can't get much worse. It's like, how is that possible? And then, of course, literally the worst thing possible for any player, regardless of any sport, happened to him. Um, so, like, when I hear, like, can I can I jump in here with a with a we're not doctors, right? We're not doctors. All three of us agree we're not doctors. I'm not yes. doctor. <laughs> okay, not doctors. Having said that. This is a fracture of the cartilage between his yeah. two ribs. Correct? That's uh-huh. what's being reported. Okay. So, even if it's a pain tolerance thing at the moment, the fact remains that there is a period of time, let's call it <laughs> X, that it's going to take for that to heal. If it hasn't fully healed and he plays again and he gets hit in the same spot, and it refractures. Close to healing, refractures. Is that not it getting worse? Is that not adding onto the timeline of what he's already missed? And then, I don't know, possibly, I look, I did, again, not doctors, so I don't know what else could come from that, but I think at a very basic level, okay, you've got an injury, there's a fracture. If the injury isn't fully healed and you play again, is there not a chance of you kind of refracturing to the extent it was before if we're completely wrong on this let us know and maybe offer an explanation because i'd have a tough time wrapping my head around it but there just seems to be like it's not entirely risk-free it's not at a risk that you're saying you know this is the season could end from this if he just gets a knock on his ribs coming back but my feeling would be okay if it's like, take another week off, and it's fully healed. Or play, 
And if you did get kind of, if it did get re-aggravated, then you're going to miss another three weeks again. And we'd probably add another week to be extra safe because we don't want it to keep happening. Like, well, then there is a, that's not just pain tolerance. And that's a, there's a risk to re-injury and logic would seem to suggest, even if it's not something that it's like, it's recurring, it's, it's an injury that true impact could be an issue. Yeah. I don't know. Not a doctor again. Any other thoughts on, on Bledsoe or, I mean, let's say, okay, let's say we're overstating the injury part of this and he is actually going to be in good shape and he's going to start against the Rockets. He's not going to get re-injured. In that case, then, does it matter or is he really, is he just a little behind the pace for not having had a proper preseason? Particularly given, I mean, of the book's most high-profile players, uh, he's the only one who didn't play in the World Cup this year. He's the only one who he may be rested, but would seem likely to have some kind of game-time rustiness to shake off. Mm. I mean, there's some merit to that. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. How do you... Like, it was such a phantom, or not phantom, but, like, such a weird injury watching it unfold in preseason. You kind of just looked at, like, oh, like, he's, it literally, like, happened, you just see him kind of, like, start, like, stretch out his his arm, and then all of a sudden he just goes to the locker room. And, like, what what does he do, like, when he's driving down the lane, which is going to happen if he has the ball in his hands? Is he going to shy away from contact? Is he going to, is that kind of going to be in the back of his mind when he's kind of you know stuck in those types of situations i don't know what kind of well let's say he plays the rockets and he's defending russell westbrook so let's even take him attacking the rim out of it if like (laughs) if you're defending russell westbrook you're gonna have russell westbrook try to barrel through you for most of the night doesn't seem ideal yeah Definitely. But beyond that, then, I don't, like, this is the guy, and obviously I've joked about him shooting 100% in preseason from three. Um, There are elements of his game that you feel like, you know, getting to work them out and put some reps in. And particularly, I mean, I'm sure he's worked pretty hard on quite a lot of things over the summer. Interestingly, it seemed to be the mental side of the game that he really did put the most stock in. And, hey, I'm all for that. And I think that's really important we might get a very early test of where that's at one way or another. Like I, I I just not ideal. What happened to the way I was feeling when I started this podcast? I was feeling good. Um, Dan, do you have anything on Bledsoe before we move to positive things before everyone starts, you know, thinking about missing the playoffs this year? Well, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, I just hope he, I would rather have him miss the first two weeks of the season if it meant getting him healthy and work on it from there than have him play through pain and possibly have a snowball where it never fully heals. He's playing through pain. Maybe it affects his shot. Maybe it affects his ability to deal with the physicality of someone like Russell Westbrook. I I would just prefer to have him healthy. Even if it comes at the expense of losing a few games, it's early in the season I think we can get home court or at least compete for home court with even if we start a little slow. So I don't really see the need to push 
Bledsoe right now, even though we're weak at the position, I would just prefer to see him get back 100% and have him healthy by the beginning of November, and then the team can figure out where they're at then. I, it's It just seems... This isn't this isn't April. We're not like on the verge of the playoffs. I don't see the need to be forcing Eric Bledsoe or anybody else on the roster for that matter to play through an injury that might affect the way that they play. It just seems sort uh, short sighted. Agreed. Okay, let's find some positives here. Um, we don't really have to look very far either. That's the thing. This just kind of snowballed from the off. Um, let's go to Giannis. That will make everyone feel better. We had a discussion just before we started recording about his three-point percentage, and I gave a number which was actually completely wrong. It was based on uh, last season. It was actually last season's number when one of you, I can't remember who, said, that sounds like last season. Um, Well, it was. His three-point shooting was actually better than I feel like it looked to me, certainly better than I remembered. He shot 36.4% from deep in the preseason. Now... That still wasn't something I'd put a whole lot of stock in. Um, I feel like I saw a couple of different, at least, shooting strokes from Giannis over the preseason. He wasn't attempting it maybe as much as we may ultimately see in the regular season two. Obviously, a big part of that is reduced minutes. Likewise, I think the free throw shooting wasn't quite where I would hope to see it be. Shot 75%, and we know he can be a solid to good free throw shooter for most of the year. I'm kind of hoping he gets better than that, though, because it seems like there's a major issue when he has to shoot free throws under pressure. And starting from a base of 75% isn't ideal. Having said that, Giannis averaged 27.3 points in 23.5 minutes across three preseason games. He shot 61.2% from the field. He also averaged 12 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.3 blocks. This is something that's maybe a little tricky to put our finger on exactly what it is after just three games, after uh, just over an hour's worth of playing time from him in a preseason setting. He looks not just sharp, not just maybe stronger, I don't know. He looks like he's unlocked something without without the areas of his greatest weakness, without the areas that we would say that's where there's room for him to improve, necessarily having taken the kind of major leaps that you'd be saying, okay, that's it. That's why he looks better. There's something there which is making me think this could be so much better from him than we anticipate this season, and that's saying something. And yet at the same time, I feel like that could happen without it being major improvements from behind the arc or the charity stripe. That is incredibly exciting, but it's also a little confusing. I don't know have either of you noticed anything or do you have any insights on what we might be seeing or what at least was there on offer in the preseason from Yalis. I I mean more of the same. I, I as far as the shot goes, I just think it's they're I don't know. I don't think it's anything different from the last six years is that we'll see there'll be some nights where everything looks perfect uh, or close to in terms of success, in terms of just like how his release looks. 
And then there'll be some times where, you know, maybe he just kind of rushes into it. Uh, I don't know. Like, that's just kind of, that's always been the case with Giannis. And I don't really see that changing all that much, uh, even though I, yeah. Um, but outside of that, I mean, the fact that he's just, we talked about the last podcast, like the guy clearly just doesn't stop regardless if it's preseason or not. Um, doesn't take it easy. Plays like some of, I know Mike Proud over like SB Nation, he like clipped this close out as during the, the Mavericks game where he goes from like in the paint and then uh, the ball is like passed towards Zingas and he just zips right into his air, like airspace to like not even, or to like force a travel or something, something along those lines. I may have been confusing up some clips, but like the guy is just on point in terms of every, well, mostly every aspect of his game. And I mean, what else do you expect from, you know, the rating MVP at this point? I think what might be clicking for him is you're you're seeing a realization from Giannis, kind of like what happened with LeBron several years ago when he it really clicked for him. I think he just realizes like he's so good at so many different things, even if he has the deficiencies with the free throws, even if he has a deficiency with a three point shot, um, relative to where he maybe could get. Those things don't matter. No teams cannot stop what he's capable of doing. And I think the fact that he's excelling even more in the preseason, granted it's preseason, but it might be a sign that he's figuring out that just with the skill set he has, teams can't stop him. It took a unique circumstance with the way the Raptors series played out for a team to actually be able to somewhat contain him. But and let's be honest on that. It, it's one player. Like there's only one player in the league who can really ever claim to have stopped Giannis in a meaningful way, this version of Giannis, I mean, this guy is different even to the player he was two years ago when Al Horford had so much success. Like, there's only one guy who last year successfully stopped Giannis in a meaningful way and over any length of time, and it's Kawhi Leonard. And it's what Kawhi allows a team to do defensively. And even when we talk about his shooting, it's like, you know, if the Bucks got past the Raptors and it wouldn't have taken much change in that series... They beat the Warriors. You know, they'd be NBA champions with Giannis as yes. he is with the flaws in his game. So really, we're just talking about one player ever who has shown the ability to make it an issue beyond, you know, just the ways he dominates. And it looks like he's ready to dominate more now than ever. Absolutely. Well, and to the Raptors' credit, too, I do think that had to do a little bit with the system that they were able to play, too. If the Bucks shooters around Giannis, like, to your point, weren't so poor in that series, especially from distance, there would have been better floor spacing and they couldn't have cheated. Um, had their other defenders cheat into the, into the lane and, and make things so difficult for Giannis every time he drove, that was sort of the unique circumstance of that too. Cause Giannis had two, three guys meeting him every time he drove pretty much. But, but also with, with that, what allows you to do that? It's Kawhi. I mean, you can't have two or three guys meet Giannis without having one of the most superhuman, long-armed, kind of versatile defenders of the league to cover up ground and paper over cracks beyond that. I'm not saying there weren't other really good defenders, and also other players with similar physical builds, like Pascal Siakam. Um, but 
that's a big part of it. Like I, if we're to think this year, who are the teams who could pose the books, who could give the books the same kind of look that the Raptors did so successfully in the in the playoffs last year? I mean, Sixers. just yeah, and the other is Clippers, right? Do either of you uh, have any other name mm, on that list? The Clippers. The one caveat, though, is that like instead of when you're double teaming, when the Raptors are double teaming Giannis, they had Marcus Gasol again, a defensive player of the year caliber defender at his height. At his height, not the same defender, but still, that's a big, bulky dude that you have to kind of get around. Clippers don't really have a center like that, unless if it's Zubac. Like, I, I think mean, it could be Zubac, and by the end of the season, I would, I would take Giannis's chances against Zubac over Gasol. I, I, yeah, I'm not saying that, but the chances of him getting to Zubac with a head of steam built up are significantly reduced if uh, you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard kind of walling you off from getting to the paint. Maybe the only other team I'd throw in there would be Boston, but they don't exactly have the big man. They don't have really? the they don't have the front court to be able to pull no. it off at least at the moment. I mean, they're they're much worse equipped than last year to deal with Giannis and they could not deal with Giannis last year. Like they are, in fact, their front court is going to be destroyed by Giannis. Anytime he goes to play them. I I think Giannis might put up some of his biggest games of the season against the Celtics, the way that roster is built. But I I mean, sorry, I basically, I jumped into your point and threw it off track there, Dan. But I think my only thing with that is like, this is a guy who, for as much as people will go on and on about his deficiencies, um, even with those deficiencies, 99% of the opponents he's going to cope against are going to be able to do nothing to stop him. And it will take like a generational talent in one of the best stretches of his career defensively on both ends, it applies, but defensively in this case, to be able to do anything about that. And then you also have to rely on the books missing shots around them. I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot that goes into this here, and your points to begin with about, you know, maybe it is like LeBron when he got to a certain point, and it's just this knowingness and this kind of self-belief of, yeah, I can do close to what I want most of the time. I'm better than everyone. And there's been a lot of ways where LeBron hasn't been a good example for Giannis in recent years. This might be one of the ways where it is good, though, because it's almost reached a point in the last few years, and LeBron has improved as a shooter but he's still not really, really good. I mean, he has a diverse range of shots. He has the he has the mid-range shot that he can go to in clutch situations that I think Giannis wants to develop. So he at least has a go-to shot that it doesn't involve him having to get to the basket. But that narrative around LeBron has kind of gone away, even though the issue kind of is still there. And in fact, his free throw shooting is getting worse and worse year by year. Like... People can just forget it, though, because he does what he wants otherwise, and it doesn't matter because he's going to help his team to win. I think one thing I predicted somewhere, some article that I wrote recently, um, and I think it was just before preseason started I wrote this, and then the numbers of preseason kind of back it up. I just have a feeling he's going to he's gonna score a lot more this year, and he's going to maybe assist a little bit less. Um, I think he's going to go over 30 points per game. And I think his assist numbers are going to drop, but I think part of that is going to be 
the easiest way for us to score in this position is I have the ball now. I'm going to go and dunk it. I'm going to go and fight true contact. I'm going to go and get to the free throw line. Whatever, whatever it might be. I think that's important for a couple of reasons because if the books are doing that, I don't think it's a bad idea that maybe you take the ball out of his hands a little bit less and you you work on how you create when Eric Bledsoe has the ball more, which is not entirely new. I mean, he had the ball a lot of the time um, up until this point. Also, Chris Middleton, though. Chris Middleton is continuing to improve as a playmaker, somewhat under the radar. I think your best opportunity to combat some of the issues that came in the playoffs is to basically build a scenario where when the ball isn't in Giannis' hands, it's not instant panic where everyone's like, the ball's not in his hands, this is going to go wrong. And part of that is just kind of working out ways for those other guys to create. I think they're skilled enough. I think they they have shown an ability to know how to do it, but there could be some real benefit to getting more reps on it. And just in that regard, it could just be a preseason trend that's kind of easily disregarded as small sample nonsense, like a month from now when Giannis is like averaging eight assists per game. But I, I have a feeling for as much as he talked about looking to get teammates more involved kind of towards the back end of the last season, I think possibly even after the season, I think he's going to go a little bit more alpha in some ways as a scorer. And I actually don't think that would be the worst thing for the books in terms of some of the other things it would force them to do in figuring out their own style and just in varying their options. I mean, the three of us did countless podcasts either early summer and certainly during and after the playoffs where we talked about the books basically falling apart against the Raptors because the offense just was one-dimensional and what they wanted to do wasn't happening. They weren't making the shots. Even when they created them, they weren't making them and they had no fallback, no other way to score. I think getting different kinds of looks and getting other guys the ball and saying, okay, if you're tasked with creating in this spell, what does our offense look like? If you're tasked in the next five minutes, how does that change things? I think all of that could be beneficial to the team. So I, I think there could be a kind of a confluence of factors there that leads to Giannis being a little more assertive as a scorer this year and possibly taking a step back in terms of his assists. That might just be me, though. I might just be... I I don't have something really firm to say, oh, well, he said this, this is what it's going to be. It was just a suspicion I had, and so far, maybe it's just a confirmation bias, it's the numbers and how he played in preseason seem to bear that out. It's something I'm going to be interested for going forward. Um, moving on from Giannis. Let's go to the number two option on the team next. Ursan Ilyasova was incredible <laughs> in preseason. I'm, you're laughing, Jordan. I know. He was know tied with Chris Middleton for the second leading scorer on the team in preseason, and he did so in considerably less minutes. Uh, I am joking. Not about the numbers. You know, the numbers are all true. Um, I'm joking about him being the book's second best player, or am I? Um, we will just touch on his numbers briefly, just to marvel at, you know, post-World Cup Ursan. 17.3 minutes per game. 15.3 points on 58.3% from the field, 62.5% from deep. That's on 5.3 attempts per game. Uh, four rebounds, 1.7 assists, and one block per game. 
Also, just zero point three turnovers. Ursan not turning over the ball. Um, very impressive. Very very impressive. Um, if he can continue to shoot sixty two point five percent from three point range, I think good things will happen for the Bucks this year. That's just a a personal hot take I have. Chris Middleton, though, to talk about a player who is going to be a little bit more important and more central to what the books are doing. Unless either of you have, you know, pressing Ursan thoughts, there's always room for that. Um, Super Sova, Super Nova, Ilya Sova. <laughs> there we go. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive what he. I mean, what he's done. He caught fire over the summer, and to carry that into the preseason is encouraging, especially because he is facing or should face some legitimate competition at the at the four and the five that he didn't necessarily have last year. So it's, is he really encouraging to see? Do you think he, 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 maybe he should, but do you think he will? Well, it's a fair question of whether Bud's actually going to apply the pressure to him. If he starts to struggle, I mean, outside of the time that he came back from his injury last year, he was one of their more consistent, maybe their most consistent role player their second most consistent role player. He was, he was very solid for them outside of about a month and a half stretch there after he had his nose broken in December where he really struggled with his three-point shot. So if he struggles again with his shot, I think he should face some competition, especially because DJ is going to need to get his minutes somewhere. And that's probably going to come at the expense of Ursan if it does happen. But otherwise, I think he's a, he's a very solid role player. And I think you see why the Bucks ultimately have decided to keep him. He He's been very useful for them. Jordan, your thoughts on the minutes at the backup four, considering I feel like this will again be something we'll talk about frequently over the course of the season? Yeah, I, I well, especially at the moment, I think there is no urgency to, speaking of another player that had injury concerns throughout camp, DJ Wilson, I don't see him kind of, as long as if Ursa is able to maintain this form and... DJ's still kind of trying to get back into, I guess, 100% game shape. I don't think, it, at least initially, I don't think it's going to be much of a competition because Ursan is doing very well right now, and hopefully that continues into the season. I think there's also, and this is kind of returning to then one of our first major points of this episode, it's up with Dante. What is it about Dante that gets him into the team that doesn't get DJ into the team. And that that goes back to the start of last season. Like, I mean, it's easy for someone to say, oh, Brogdon's gone. There's this kind of role. Uh, Dante was in the rotation as a rookie to begin last season when not only was Malcolm Brogdon healthy, but Tony Snell was also still around. So what do we think it is that's the difference between what makes... Dante well, a favorite, and DJ kind of has this uphill struggle? I, I I don't know. I just think it's naturally harder for DJ to get consistent minutes when you're playing at the same position as the team star. I mean, Giannis is going to, even with managing his minutes to however many it was last year, I think like 31, something like that, That nat, that's going to be lower amount of minutes than what you're going to see in the backcourt. And we like Tony Stallard and all that stuff, but like, it's not, that's a world of difference in terms of, you know, kind of backing up well, which position. It's not a difference. No, but it's not a difference between um, the backup. 
like if we're comparing where Snell was to start last season and his standing to Ursan this season, like I mean that's that's kind of where I'm going at that comparison. It's like what makes what makes one of those something that it's easy to eat into minutes, and for the others it seems very difficult. I mean, I, I, this is something that obviously comes up a lot, and uh, Bucks fans complain about you know Bud's trust in Ursan, the minutes that Ursan gets. But I don't think there's ever enough conversation about, you know, why do we think that might be the case? Like, sure, it's built on an existing relationship and a feeling that he understands what I want to do. But there's also going to be a little bit something more there. There's got to be something specifically that he feels like one does that the other doesn't do. And I don't think there is any reason why DJ Wilson has to play. Put it that way. I don't. I don't think there is any reason. If he is good enough to play and he forces his way into the team, well, then he plays. Again, I'm probably on a very different basis to most books fans, but I like I. I see no reason why he has to play. If if the books are good and Ersan plays well and they go through the season and DJ doesn't play, I mean, I don't think it's a big deal. And people will say, okay, but then you're not developing a player who you could use as a you know, useful role player going forward. And that's 100% right. But I would argue that if he can't get into the team ahead of Ursan and Isova, well, then the books likely don't feel he can be that guy. Like, I think if we're ranking the two of them, and I certainly don't agree with this at the moment, my feeling is the books are probably higher on Dante than they are on DJ in terms of long-term prospects. I'm not seeing that. It just seems to be how it's playing out, though, in terms of, where they fall within the rotation. You're right, of course, Jordan. The playing at the same position as Giannis does limit you somewhat, but there are still plenty of minutes up for grabs as a backup behind him. That I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's more likely that that uh, Dragon Bender gets some of those minutes down the road this year than it necessarily is for DJ to finally come in and like gain a stranglehold on that position. I guess we'll see. I, I don't know. I just, I ultimately, <laughs> when we're kind of like, see, like, oh, which, which prospect has a better future or like kind of has pull, better polls, pull position towards uh, regular minutes. It's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> let's just, let's just watch the games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, cause we're just, it's, I don't know. We're guessing at this point and it can easily change over the course of an, a month, maybe nine month season. Jordan, this is what you call mid season form. We're already talking about DJ Wilson potentially not getting minutes, Dante DiVincenzo potentially getting minutes. These are the kind of issues that, you know, you might say, let's just talk about games. These are exactly the things that we end up talking about once games start to happen. Get ready. <laughs> Any closing thoughts on preseason before we move on to look ahead? I think I'm I'm good. General optimism. I think it's fair to say, in spite of probably what the last hour or so of conversation has come across as. Yeah. Yes. In unison. Brilliant. Okay. Let's first of all just take a brief look ahead to, you know, I guess we could probably do the first two games, and um, we certainly won't be back for a pod before those two are out of the way. So. That is Thursday's book season opener, and they do have to wait quite a bit longer than most teams. I mean, are they the last team with the Rockets to play? Probably. 
they might not to be. be playing on either Tuesday or Wednesday. I'd guess they probably are. Um, this is what happens though when you have to get a prime time national slot for your opening game. Heading into that game, is it possible for us really to have clear feelings about this without having any idea of if Eric Bledsoe plays and if he does, what version we're going to see of him? Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Do you know how many uh, three-point attempts the Rockets averaged in preseason oh, this year? Oh, I think I saw the number. It was it was definitely over 50. It was over 50, yeah. It was 55.5. Um, wow. Which, for context, second place in preseason, and this is not a guarantee that either of these numbers, like the, I don't think the Rockets will shoot 55.5 in the actual regular season. Although, <laughs> who knows? Um, second place was the Wizards at 44.6. So they were shooting more than 10 triples on average per game. Um, more than any other team. Although they only made 1.13 more per game than the Wizards over the course of preseason. Which is, you know, maybe that's where the real crooks of the rocket strategy and where it's vulnerable now lies. Um, I mean, part of this is I have no idea what the rockets are going to look like this year. I have got to a point where I'm very, very for being kind, skeptical of Russell Westbrook as a player on a team that has serious aspirations of winning um, just by nature of how he plays. And I guess the kind of force of his personality and a personality that has largely developed since Kevin Durant left Oklahoma city and he became the guy and the whole dynamic shifted. Now saying that, look, he did gel very, very well with Paul George and they also built a good relationship and yet (laughs) Paul George decided he wanted out pretty quickly. So maybe that relationship in the end got to be a little bit more grating than it was in the beginning. I don't know. Can Russell Westbrook and James Harden work together, though? The two most ball-dominant players in the NBA on the same team. Um, One of them not being able to shoot to save his life. That seems like it could be problematic when the other guy is going to have the ball a lot. Definitely. But I, I don't think it... I mean, the shooting part of it aside, I mean, it's basically kind of the same questions that everybody was asking when two years ago when Chris Paul and Harden joined up and that worked, even though it went down in flames over the, you know, over the summer. Uh, Even defense though is different. Well, that's the, that's the biggest thing for them is that like what made them an elite team was the fact that they were an elite team on both ends of the floor. Um, I mean, they just don't have the same kind of defenders as they did as the team two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure what way that's going to play out because I I do think it's not just, they, they really could have used just a younger version of Chris Paul. You know, I think that's something that maybe with hindsight, they'll look back on and be like, Chris Paul was kind of the right guy at the right time, but the wrong time in his career. Um, to make that ad- addition. And I think Westbrook 
is something very different. And there is reason to be encouraged, I guess, because the two have played together in the past and the two played quite well together and that worked. But neither of them could be... They they couldn't be any more different now than they were at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, like, stylistically, you talk about them being ball dominant. It's, it's not just that. It's like James Harden is break your guy down, do all these dribble moves, step back, take up so much of the shot clock. Russell Westbrook is like, I'm going to go from one end of the floor to the other in like three seconds. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that, that di- dimension of using speed and all that stuff. Like that's where it'll be interesting in terms of, uh, does that kind of make the Rockets a little bit more of a different threat and when it like in transition? Because they were just so freaking slow, and it was—I mean, that's—that's that's honestly what made, makes them hard tune to watch. At least personally, is that like you Harden is such a fantastic player in terms of what he could do, but they just play—they didn't play with the same kind of pace as they could have uh, if they really wanted to. Westbrook, from that angle, I think could make them at least more interesting. But just what do you really gain from that? Because I mean. We, we all know how that goes with Westbrook at this stage. Yeah, you become like the really uninteresting and mediocre Thunder. You know, you don't, yeah. you, you're you not like the version that they were before when Harden was there too. All of that just doesn't really factor into it. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued for the game. I think it's also, look, it's, it's a brutally difficult opening game. I think... Over the course of the season, I'm pretty confident the Bucks will be better than the Rockets. But as you're kind of, oh, the new season started, welcome, you're on the road in Houston. That's that's kind of a tough beat for the Bucks. I'm not entirely sure how it's going to play out. My instinct is that the Bucks just look to be in a better spot already and they should have a greater understanding. And on paper, I'd say the Bucks will win. I'm not entirely convinced it'll play out like that, though. We'll see. <laughs> I thought you were going to come out with something really bold there, you know, just to, I mean, we don't do predictions anymore, but we could just for these two games, just to, you know, put you on the back foot to start the season. If you have to give a prediction. I think they win. Bye. Oh, well, this, I mean, it varies if it's with Bless or not, because I think, honestly, Defensively, he'll help, even if he's less than one hundred percent. I'll go. Do you like, think they'll win if Bled if Bledsoe isn't playing? Well, I think I think it would gives them a little bit more of a cushion in terms of the margin. I'll go Bucks by like eight. Okay. Ugh, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna go Bucks by. Six? <laughs> he says not too confidently. Okay, so we'll move on to the Heat game. Um, unfortunately, we won't get Dan's view on the Rockets game or the Heat game or his predictions because after uh, valiantly battling through some technical difficulties across the duration of the podcast in a way that hopefully none of you will have noticed, um, Dan has finally succumbed to those issues and this is now a two-man podcast. 
which that's fine. We're used to it. Uh, it'll all work out okay, won't it, Jordan? Yes, it will. Okay, so after the Bucks play the Houston Rockets in the season opener on Thursday, they will return home for their home opener at Pfizer Forum against the Miami Heat on Saturday night, right? Saturday? Sunday? Saturday. No, it's an afternoon game. Saturday afternoon, you're right, 4 p.m., right? Mm-hmm. You gotta love that, I mean... I do. This is this is the brief spell. I don't know, is it my clock changes this weekend or yours does or which way? One of them will change soon and the other won't. So I get closer for a little bit, about a week. So that's beneficial for my sleep schedule. Certainly a helpful way to ease into the season. But as for the books, is this a is this a nice, friendly way for them to ease into their season? Rockets followed by the heat. I'm seeing some pretty hot heat takes um, in recent days. People very high on the heat. I'm not, Jordan, is really where I'm going with this. Have people just forgotten what Jimmy Butler does to places now? Like, it's appropriate that he's gone to the heat, seeing as he just, it's like scorched earth everywhere he goes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They certainly seem the most polarizing team. Of the East, I should say. Like, there are some... I think Zach Lowe, one of his crazy predictions that he had them third? Is she third of the East? Yeah. I was kind of blinking. I was going, okay. I think um, not quite on Zach Lowe's caliber, although maybe in his own mind. Our good friend Ty Windish, I think, also is very high on the heat. I think I saw a tweet from him. Um, If I'm mistaken, I'll take it back. I'm probably not, we, though. I remember it. Um, so I think Ty, our good friend, our longtime colleague and guest, is also high on the heat. I think I think there's a lot of people high on the heat, and I don't quite get it. Meanwhile, Dion Waiter, Dion Waiters is like Jimmy Butler without the work ethic. <laughs> Where it's like the, you know, Jimmy Butler saying like, oh, I'm going to practice at 3 a.m. And the practice is like 10 o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, Dion Waiters like, I'm not practicing, but I just want to start, give me my starting position. Um, <laughs> like, that's just the whole weird, this, that's the thing, like, it's not even just that, like, James Johnson, they excused from training camp because his, because of his weight, or something like that. Um, Tyler Harrow might be really good, right? Might be really good. He's a rookie. He, he looks decent. He looks decent. I, I kind of liked him coming out of college i did i don't know they're just kind that of doesn't thin... get you to the number three seat though right i feel like i'm missing other things like they lost josh richardson um yep. Dwayne wade obviously Dwayne wade obviously which isn't as insignificant as maybe it should have been no he was there he was their like go-to crunch time scorer which okay and... they've covered that part at least with jimmy butler if they can keep him around until like late season games um I don't know. I don't. Goran Dragic is like just trade bait. Like I don't know how well he's gonna play. Yeah, like, that's another like weird storyline where it seems like they he was was he a part of the that Dallas deal that didn't go through or something like that? Yeah, I think so. That sounds familiar. That they had to open up to the four team trade. There's just kind of a weird vibe coming out of that team, which is, I mean, every Jimmy Butler team. Uh, 
It's almost like almost... there's something that you could connect the dots there, Jordan, isn't it? It's like, oh, I, I, it's like I don't know it may not be entirely people. coincidental <laughs> that every Jimmy Butler team kind of ends up with a weird vibe. Plus, too, like, th- this is just kind of like, once you get past Butler, Dragic, Hero, unless, I mean, I mean, they could, it looks like they've hit Paydirt if he plays as well as he has been. Adebayo is an interesting guy, but, like, they're really thin. Yeah. That you're relying on the James Johnsons, the DM Waiters, the, the Myers Leonard. It's like what's going Myers, on here? Myers Leonard, Linux is. You Why know, are people into bit. this? I'm. I'm just. I checked just because I would hate to be saying something. Um, something about our good friend Ty that wasn't true. Ty has predicted on Twitter that they will be the most surprising team this season when they'll finish top four out east. I'm just having a tough time at this because I saw some people making like their uh, their predictions for rankings for the East today and. The team that was out on one that I kind of went, they're going to miss, really? I don't know. Was the Pistons. And look, we got an up-close look at the Pistons. The Pistons are not like an imposing team, a great team by any means. But if Blake Griffin was healthy all season, mm. I don't know. Like, I think I prefer the Pistons. Yeah. I mean, I mean talking, all of this, this is, what, is in the, all of this is in the morass of teams below the top two where anything could happen. Yeah, this is what we're talking about with, like, just... <laughs> when people look at, like, oh, my God, the East could be even worse than what it normally is. Like, this is what we're talking about. Like, well, the Pistons have Blake Griffin. If he stays healthy or is, like, healthy for 70 games, which he was close to last year. I think they have better depths than the Heat, too. I mean, I'm oh, not... This isn't, I don't know about that. This isn't my, my attempt to champion the Pistons, because I'm really not that high in the Pistons, as I think I touched on in our last podcast. Um, but I don't know. I think they might have better depths than the, than the Heat. I don't know about that. I, I They might have better depth. I don't think it's useful depth. I agree, only because Joe Johnson has been waived. <sighs> Otherwise, I'd be in disagreement, but now, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the depth, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're all terrible. <laughs> you went to, you went to, the thing about the Heat this year, I mean, I'm not, I'm not champion Hassan Whiteside by any means, because I think he's, I think he's only useful in contract years, so hopefully Portland can unlock that again. Um, but he did give Giannis problems, and you know, just by just standing in the paint and trying to block shots and stuff like that. They don't have that anymore. And I mean, Bam's a decent player. I don't know if he's certainly not. Well, if he's locked in defensively as Whiteside can be, I don't think that uh, that'll be much of a problem for two friends. Apparently that was one thing I read over the offseason. Giannis and Bam Adebayo, friends. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Through I, I like same age. I like Bam. I like Bam. I'm very intrigued by Bam. I'm glad he's going to get more opportunity. I don't think he's going to single-handedly turn the Heat into a juggernaut. I mean, for people who are high on the Heat, I mean, go and look at the roster, and it is... It, it is worse than the Pistons roster. I'm going to go with uh, that. I, I, I disagree. When we're finished recording, you pull up both rosters, do you look down? I've seen the Pistons I know. roster. I mean, they're relying on... I... I that that thing falls off a cliff pretty quickly. There's a lot of players I don't know on this Heat roster. That just doesn't happen. Like some of them may have been waived, and ESPN may not have updated it. But I'm sure some of these guys are still around. And 
yeah, I'm I'm really I'm not sure. I don't know what the heat enthusiasm is. I think the Bucks will the Bucks are gonna beat the Heat by twenty points on Saturday. Yeah, I feel very comfortable that they will. That will be a nice home statement, regardless of what happens Thursday, and which is a tricky, uh, tricky opener to the season. I have very little doubts about how they'll do against the Heat. Okay, Jordan, we're done with our kind of look ahead to the first two games. All that's left for us to do is really zoom out and look to the season overall. I mean, this isn't going to be the kind of detailed thing we've done in years past. We just didn't have a chance, didn't have the time this year, where we would, for example, spend half an hour talking about the Heat roster in great detail. Um, instead, this is, I guess, just kind of a snapshot. Do you want to give me your playoff teams in the East? You can work through them in your head. We can talk through them. Um, or even who you feel confident is in, just to kind of paint some picture. I mean, we we don't know who the top two teams are, right? There's no... You're not going to say the Raptors instead of the Bucks or Sixers. No, I am not. <laughs> okay, so we're in agreement. Bucks and Sixers are top two. We'll discuss them more specifically in a moment. Other East teams that you see making it? Toronto, Boston. Um, let's see, that's what I'm talking about. It, it drops up. The Nets. I'll go Miami. I, I think Miami is a playoff team. Okay, here. I'll let you do yours then. I'll go Indiana. I'll go Brooklyn. Am I at seven, right? I think you're at seven. So I think logically you're down to Orlando or Detroit, unless you're particularly high on the Hawks or Bulls. I'm I'm going Bulls, baby. Oh. I like the Bulls. I like the Give Bulls me... a lot, but I mean, that's bold. I don't think it's that bold, honestly. I mean, Jim Orlando and... is their coach, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Him crouching on the sidelines. You're, you're talking about the Bulls, Jim Boylan being a playoff coach with some of the things he's done. I, done I don't think that's just stretch though, compared to who the teams that we're talking about that. Would have to drop out. I think um, I think the Magic are better, and I think Steve Clifford is just a much better coach. But that team is just so blah. It doesn't mean they're not effective. Yeah, but an effective at being five hundred. That's not... gonna that's gonna cruise to the playoffs. I think at least the mm. the Bulls aren't gonna be five hundred. I don't know. Okay, you're drinking. They the got Kool-Aid. they got the Thomas Santoransky. Thad Young. Kobe White is interesting. I like his hair. <laughs> we, we had a, a fantasy NBA draft last night. We both partook in it, Jordan. Uh, one of my friends, he did say that he mostly drafted Kobe White near the end of the draft <laughs> because of his hair. Uh, so the fact that he accepted exactly. to me, and then you're like, Kobe White's pretty interesting. I like his hair. I don't know if that bodes well for the Bulls, that people are going to Kobe White's hair ahead of other things. Actually, his game is kind of interesting. He could be a starter by the end of the season. He, um, Yeah, I would agree with that. And I like that. I I don't know. I, I like that team. Maybe it's a – I was kind of like really bashful on the, the Hawks. Bashful, is that the right word? High in the Hawks? I'll just say that. Let's stop. That's very different to Bashful, so. Yeah. (laughs) I was high in the Hawks, 
in the earlier in the off season, and I was like, you know what, this it's not it's like a year away type thing. Maybe that's the case for the Bulls, but I think they're going to be way more respectable than uh, they have been the last two years. That's for certain. I like. Uh, I might like the Hawks more than the Bulls, and I, I really do quite like the Bulls. And yeah, I think neither of those teams will make the playoffs this year. I just think they'll be right there and putting pressure think, on teams that will have higher expectations this year and bigger consequences if they were to miss to one of those teams. It's kind of a free shot for both the Hawks and Bulls this year. Yeah, I think I would like the Hawks if they had a little... Like, I think they ha- they just... Defensively, that's like the biggest worry. And if maybe... I know they have a lot of cap space, but look at... you know, oh, There's with, nothing to do with that. I mean... There's nothing to do with that, especially after the re- restricted free agents. If they maybe, like, sacrifice some of that to get, like, a... At least, like, a respectable player, maybe not, like... Like... Maybe that's the only reason. I was trying to work out how Jalen Brown got that deal. And now that you say that Jalen Brown is from Georgia and no one has more money and fewer options to spend it on next year than the Hawks. So I guess he possibly could have got a max offer from the Hawks and he may have wanted to go and take that. Yeah. yeah, The one difference between the, the Hawks and the Bulls for me is we're talking about Kobe White could be this by the end of the season. And I like, yeah, I like Thomas. He's more probably than Kobe White could be for quite a while. Thomas Sadoransky is good for the Bulls, but yeah, look, they both have their pros and cons. You're right on the Hawks defense. I just think having like, not just a real point guard, but a point guard who could be an all-star. Don't think he will be, but I'm not saying it's impossible. He could be an all-star this year. I mean, John um, Collins could I think easily be an all-star. That's a big deal. John Collins, too. John Collins should have been closer last year. John Collins' numbers were absolutely great last year, and he kind of got overlooked. Uh, he also missed the start um, of the year, and that kind of – that's not going to help. True. Yeah. He missed a bit. We're getting sidetracked into a detailed Hawks <laughs> and Bulls discussion, like I said we weren't going to do. Um, so my top eight obviously does include Bucks, Sixers. I don't really like any of them from here. Um, I increasingly like the Celtics less and less. Just, just say, it doesn't make me like the Raptors Toronto. anymore, like you, though. There could be three. Everybody's overthinking this. There's still. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if the Raptors missed the playoffs. I would be not be surprised. I, at all. That... If if Kyle Lowry misses any time, I think that team. They, They've a bunch of older guys who are really gonna take a hit. It's it's all down to if Siakam makes a major jump and like becomes oh wow this guy is this guy is gonna be in the top ten conversation for years to come. That's entirely possible, but until he does it, like where they were last year as a unit, losing Kawhi and losing Danny Green is just it is monumental, and particularly when the guys you're keeping like with the exception of Siakam, it's a really bad thing that they're all getting one year older. Like that was almost a problem with them already. So saying, oh, we've still got Serge Ibaka, but a year older. We've got Marcus Gasol, but a year older. We've got Kyle Lowry, but a year older. I'm fine with uh, this year. I was fine with it last year. That didn't work well. But this year I'm fine with basically overlooking the Raptors somewhat. I don't know. This isn't in any order, but I I do think the Raptors will probably make it. 
The Celtics will probably make it. The Nets will make it. The Pacers, I think, will probably make it. I'm going Magic and Pistons. I don't think the Heat are making it. That could make me look really stupid, but I'm perfectly fine with that rather than buying into whatever that roster is and thinking, yeah, they got Jimmy Butler and good things happen when you get Jimmy Butler on your team. Like, I guess part of this for everyone is the feeling they have another move up their sleeve. Not really, though. I mean, they might get Chris Paul because with the players they have, their only option to make a deal is to take back what's actually a bad contract for one team. Um, <laughs> because they just don't have stuff, really. Like, who wants any of that? Justice Winslow is the only thing. And then if you're giving him up, to get something, how good are you going to be? I'm not in on the heat. Yes, we don't need to do it. Out best. of the kitchen, is that that's the phrase? I'm out of the kitchen. Yeah, you're out of the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we won't do the West. We don't need to go through all of that. What is your ranking for the top two in the East? In the West. East. East. Oh, yeah. I, we, thought... I mean, okay. Um, we're talking about the real East, you know, the two-team conference. The two-teamer. Uh, I'll go. I'm going Bucks Sixers. So am I. Have you have you pinned down any in your mind? I, I'm pretty sure you haven't shared it. But do you have a win total in mind for the Bucks this year? Yeah. Let's hear it. 58 wins. Okay. I'm going 62. Oh my! Ooh. <laughs> I think this team with their foot off the gas a little bit can roll over most teams they play I think that includes a lot of good teams in the West they did it last year they're deeper this year obviously that kind of win total is dependent on good health and something similar to what they had last year you're going to have some injuries but just depends on who and when um I don't see any reason why they can't repeat 60. And when I thought about that and I thought about last year, down the stretch, there were a couple of games they let go. And when they were just kind of one, that maybe they're resting players, they're getting ready for the playoffs, all that stuff. But this year, they're so deep that even when they rest players, I think they could win some games late in the season. So I don't think it's unrealistic to see a match last season and then be better prepared for just some of the, some of the games they let slip. Um, either way, I don't think it's a big deal if they're a little over or a little under last year. I, I would kind of see between your prediction and mine as their range. I think they'll fall right within there, and that's all good. And we'll likely have them top the East. Moving forward from there, so with Bucks as one and Sixers as two, are you anticipating any problems for either in getting to the conference finals? No, I think, yeah, I I don't think, I mean, to explain injury, like every team faces injury concerns. We're assuming, we're assuming health. I mean, you can't, we can't foresee injuries that haven't happened yet. So for this purposes, we just have to assume health, which is obviously flawed to begin with. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I don't see much of a challenge. I, I don't see how any team can really challenge 
in terms of the first two rounds, either team. And then when they get to the conference finals, Jordan, Jordan is your name, not Jordan. How's it going to play out, Jordan? I that's a big dramatic pause. You've got to have given this some real I have thought. Give us a thought. I want more. Also, gotta keep the people on the seat of their edge of their seat. Their seat of their edge. I think they've waited long enough. Uh, that's true. <laughs> um, I think I go. I want to go Bucks over Sixers. How many games? Seven sounds right. Yeah, it's same as my prediction. Um. I do think it's possible that the Sixers might just not be very good. And that's a relative thing in that they'd still be the best team in the I East. I don't know. Or second best team in the East. I don't, I'm not buying the Sixers to the level again that everyone is. I can clearly see the pathway to them being an unstoppable force that wins a championship. But that is just one potential option. And it's one that I think a lot of things have to play out and convince me on. Because right now you're like, okay, they don't really have depth still. They don't have shooting and they've got a lot of stuff to work out and a lot of players who aren't used to taking big shots to grow accustomed to and become good at that. And I'm not sure just how well that's going to work. Um, so, I mean, it only has to work so well for them to get to a conference finals. I think it's the reality of it. And their goal this year is likely not going to be, let's go get 60 wins and top the East. It's going to be, let's get to a place where when we meet the books and we have a seven game series to get to the finals, that we can come out on top. I think for everything like the, this assumption that the Sixers are the best defensive team in the NBA is really annoying me right now because it could still be the books. Like the Sixers can be as long armed and kind of quirky as they want. And it can still be the books because defense isn't just about five guys. It's also about what happens when, you know, your reserves come in and how your kind of cohesion as a unit, your buy-in to a scheme works out. That stuff has to be proven that the Sixers can kind of uphold a league best level as a team. So for me, that's, again, will they be really good? Absolutely. And if they're not really good on that end, well, then they're not even a threat. But are they definitely the best team in the NBA? Like so many seem ready to kind of crown them on the defensive end. I don't think so. I think there's major issues offensively. I think they have a lot of stuff to figure out, and we've seen it in the past, and we've even seen it with the Sixers. When there's a lot of stuff to figure out, things can go wrong. And just assuming everything will work out is a bit of a stretch. There are certain things you've got to see in action, and on that front, the, the books are the clear number one for me. Um, that doesn't take away from the respect I think the Sixers, with their current roster, deserve. So for me, it will be a close series. It would be seven games. That's not to suggest, though, that two months from now, if we were to talk about this again, that I wouldn't be like, well, if the Bucks meet the Sixers in the conference finals, they could win in five. Because I don't think that's off the table. I don't think they're the kind of lock that everyone wants to make them already because we literally haven't seen this team, like this version of the team, and it's not anything remotely like a seamless fit, a logical fit where you're like, put these pieces together, the results are great, just kind of bask in the glory. It is probably the weirdest starting five in the NBA. Yeah, I, I don't, I think, I, I think ultimately like all this, like they deserve all the kind of um, respect and kind of, they can easily make it to the finals. I, I don't think that's, 
out of the question. I just, for me, I don't think anything really changes in terms of like, who is it, the same questions that were following the Sixers last year in terms of who's kind of like their go-to player when it gets really tough. And that guy is not there anymore. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, I don't think they've done anything to really solve that. I think they've actually exacerbated the problem by having more players, quality players. Um, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, they have a really good starting five, but you're also looking at like. They do, but I mean, Ben Simmons doesn't scare you in the playoffs at where he is right now. Maybe by the time the playoffs come around, he'll have taken a major league on some other stuff. Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris. I mean, it's only Embiid. Yeah. Like, it it is only Embiid, and Embiid is good enough. And maybe the best player in the league at some point may just flip a switch where it's like, okay, this guy is the best player in the league this year, much like Giannis was last year. Like, he is at that level. But even at that, you've got to make the rest of it work. I think the other thing in the Bucs context with the Sixers is the Bucs did this last year. The team has changed this year, but they they did this with a team that is somewhat an approximation of what they'll have this year. That is running the kind of core philosophies that are likely to still be in place. So they came up against the wall that they know we fell short this way. We have to work on that. We have to come up with a plan that counters that possibility from repeating in the future. The Sixers lost in a very different way, in a way that might make fans feel better because they lost on the most freakish shot in NBA history. They lost in seven games. Um, They just basically lost to a combination of bad luck and individual brilliance. Yet they were only in that position because of a player who isn't there anymore. And they don't have a replacement for him. So when they get to the playoffs this year, it's not like, oh, we've been through this. We know how to do this. We did it last year. They may well say that, but that's not true. Like, it's not remotely true. They haven't been through this with this team and this kind of setup. It's going to be entirely new for them. And that should be a much bigger question mark than I think it is. Yeah. I mean... I'm, I'm sticking with books and seven for now based on... They have enough talent that they can and likely will figure it out over the course of the season. And you know what? If they don't, they have enough talent that they can make trades. Mm-hmm. Whether that happens, we've got to wait and see. Um, but I think seven is seven is affording them respect rather than honestly what I think it would be if the playoffs started right now. We're both taking the books to come out of the East, Jordan. That means a 46-year wait will be at that point. They'll have come to an end. The books will be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who are they? will be in the finals, I should say. Um, who do you have them playing in the finals? I think it's Clippers. I have a feeling. And, you know, these are predictions and this is what happens. I'm picking the Lakers oh. to get out of the West. And I don't even like the Lakers. I don't I don't like their roster. Uh, I think they will not be the best team in the West in the regular season. They may not be close. They could be a kind of 4-5 range. And yet, if they can be healthy and refreshed and in a good place, I don't see any reason why they couldn't come from the middle of the pack to actually get out of the West. The Clippers are objectively a better team. Although I'm a little, it's it would be 
it would be wrong not to be a little spooked by the combined kind of health question marks over Kawhi and Paul George. But I think there could be something by the time playoff time comes around about LeBron and about LeBron with a real point to prove and about Anthony Davis there as his sidekick. It's a kind of young sidekick he hasn't had in quite a long time. And I mean, if we're to believe reports, LeBron is actually going to be the sidekick. Maybe that works better. I don't know. Like we have discussed on the podcast before. I think both of us have some reservations over Anthony Davis. Um, The failings in New Orleans were as much on him as they were on the organization. But there is something there. I guess it's still tied to LeBron as much as anything that I feel like could that team come out and just be the team to eke it out and get there? 100%. They could do that. If, if there's a team that's going to beat the Clippers as well, I'm honestly not sure who else in the West it would be. I don't, I don't know if I'd like the chances of any other team over them. I can't quite explain why. It's purely good. I don't know. I, I, I think everybody keeps talking about this, the West this year. And I'm just like, I don't, I think people are piping up too much. I don't, I, I think it's like, it's going to be fun in terms of like, there's just so many teams that could make the playoffs. I just don't know if there's any like one team that rises above. That's like the cream of the crop. I agree. The playoff race will be a bloodbath, but I don't know if that necessarily results in the quality of teams potentially coming out of the West being better than either the Bucks or the Sixers. Which, yeah, yeah. Which obviously speaks to the top heaviness of the East, but still, I just think not every team is, you know, uh, I, I just don't see any, I mean, well, look at the Lakers roster outside of like, the top two, you're and then it goes on to like Kuzma. Oh, it's bad. It's really bad. And it's never like... mind the fact that like talk about like instability in terms of how do you project with the Clippers with health and stuff like that. We know who's on that coaching staff. <laughs> we... <laughs> that is true. That is true. You'll talk me off it pretty quickly when you make me just think of that because that didn't factor into it for me. Yeah, like um, he could he could be the coach by the playoffs. <laughs> Entirely possible. I just, uh, really. Uh... I don't know. I I'm Yeah, yeah, you know what? You're already talking me down, but it's my prediction. I've made it and it's already wrong. Uh but I'll stick with it. I I think for me it's probably just a byproduct of what we're talking about in that like people can talk up all of the other teams and they're good teams. I think the only one of them that you look at and you go, "Well, that's a great team" is the Clippers. Uh... I just I don't have faith in them being healthy. What about Denver? You think there's another team? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Losing to Portland wasn't overly encouraging. Yeah, but I think that's another seven game. I I, I like, I really, again, this may not make much of a difference because he's not a all-star player. But Jerry Grant kind of fills exactly what they missed on the wing. I I like him. I agree. I I like the Nuggets again. I I think most of these teams are good. I mean, if the Nuggets get out of the West, the Bucks are the champions if they get to the finals. I have zero doubt about that. Like they could sweep. Not saying they will, but they could. Um, 
that's that's kind of my place on it. I feel that way about basically everyone other than the Clippers and the Lakers. And it, that might be down to purely two guys. But those two guys may get the Lakers past everyone other than the Clippers. And then I think the Clippers are going to be dependent on, okay, how does it all mesh and how healthy can they be? And they're question marks. And they're not just question marks for the top two guys as well. I mean, there's other key players. Like, Pat Beverly doesn't have an entirely unproblematic injury history and will be an important player for them. They're deep, which again goes to their favor. They're deep in a way that basically no other team other than the books probably is. I don't have a problem with you picking the Clippers probably in the way that you have me picking the Lakers. Like, I can see that. I just... I don't think it's a surefire thing with the Clippers at all. Um, I think on talent, with everyone healthy, it would be. But there's very little reason to believe we'll actually get that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's all really about the timing in their case. I mean, it doesn't matter if Kawhi and... Paul George play 20 regular season games together. If they're both fully healthy and click once the playoffs go on, well, they're probably the NBA champions. Um, but we'll see. You I mean, timing may mean that they get 50 games together in the regular season and they're both not available together for the playoffs. And that would be a major problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we both have an LA team in the finals facing the Bucks. Your finals prediction, Jordan. Well, that's a Clippers pick. If I, I've don't ever know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's a Clippers pick. I mean, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> that's a Clippers pick. Not even brave enough to say he's picking the books to lose in the finals. <laughs> Shocking stuff. Um, yeah, I have the Bucks winning it all this year. I think the Bucks will beat the Lakers in six games. I think the Bucks could beat the Clippers if it's the Clippers. I think this is the Bucks year. Um, I don't think that in a way where it's like that they are going to steamroll through it, that the Malcolm Brogdon issues that we've spent a lot of the offseason talking about may not become a factor at some point. Yet I think so much of what the Bucks do, it just takes an incredible kind of combination of things to go wrong for them and right for the other team and for the other team to the right mix of personnel to actually get the better of them over a series. And do you know what the Bucks record was against the Raptors before they lost those four games in a row last year? Five and oh. No, it was five and one, but you're close. What? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. They, I forgot they lost that one. There's one regular season loss. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that we should probably reflect on more than necessarily how it ended. And really all of the, you know, not losing consecutive games, not losing to the same team twice unless you're Phoenix or Oklahoma City, all of that stuff. It's very, very difficult to beat the Bucks, let alone beat them four times out of seven. I think a lot of people who may have forgotten that will get a reminder of it deep, deep into the postseason this year. I really, I'm... It's not like this is something we do every year where you pick the Bucks to go to the finals and I go, the Bucks are going to win a championship. Um, that was a place we likely got to middle of last season. Um, but it, it's I really haven't given it some thought. I don't think it's something flippant. I don't think it's biased. 
maybe it comes from just knowing this team better than others. And I guess if you know one of the other teams, you have a different opinion. But I really, I think the Bucks are the best team in the NBA and will win the championship this year. I certainly hope that's the case. Okay, but you're not predicting it. That's definitely clear. <laughs> I said I could neither confirm nor deny. Well, the fact you're not confirming makes it very clear. Jordan, we will see how those predictions turn out over the course of the year. Um, next time we're back to talk to all of you, we will be reflecting on real regular season games and whatever kind of storylines begin to unfold from there. It hasn't been quite as long a wait as usual this year because the books made it, you know, deep into the playoffs. Then there was some feedback action. There's been all sorts to kind of tie us all over, but. NBA basketball is back. It is back, possibly already by the time some of you listen to this, and Bucks basketball will be back on Thursday night. We're very glad to have it back, and we're excited to share in another season of Bucks basketball with all of you. Until the next time, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorite us on TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at WinIn6Podcast. That's at WinIn6Podcast. And you can read all of my writing, Jordan's writing, and the rest of our team at BehindTheBookPass.com. Until the next time, thanks as always to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you.